Good morning, everybody, and welcome. This is Commute Philosophy. I think that's the name that I ended up going with. It's very exciting. Um, in Commute Philosophy, I talk about whatever random nonsense happens to flow through my mind. And so, I've decided that since uh, I've named it Commute Philosophy, let's talk about my favorite philosophy uh, and the one that uh, I ascribe to. Yes, it would be ascribe. Not describe, not prescribe. Ascribe. Ascribe to the philosophy of kind of a, an objectivist based sort of thing. Um, the fun part about uh, about this is uh, this is kind of how I had felt just intuitively uh, before I had a name to put to it. Um, and the, uh, original Randian objectivism, uh, kind of deviates in, uh, in a few places, but philosophically, uh, I feel like this is, it's probably the closest and I can just use that blanket statement and be like, uh, yeah, for the most part, it's this. Now, when I say it for the most part, it's this. It's because um, everyone kind of operates under their own kind of hybrid of a bunch of different philosophies. Um, we all like to think that we're Aristotelian, Kantian, uh, you know, um, the, the great classics, but I know way too many people who uh, who are just such nihilists and uh, have these really weird hybridizations and um, and it's not like the good hybridizations where, like, Aristotelian philosophy falls short here. So I've picked up um, the when uh, Aquinas has taken over and moved it forward, or um, this particular brand never really. Uh, Especially the uh, the European philosophers, um, they just don't cover the same territory that uh, Eastern philosophies do, um, which is how I became really big into Taoism uh, uh, for a time. Uh, it was covering ground that I had not been exposed to. Um, full disclosure, I had uh, 
13 years of Catholic school, kindergarten uh, all the way through high school, uh, you know, full on like nuns and everything uh, got to wear a tie and the uniforms and the, the whole shtick. Um, so I recognize that my philosophy background is likely uh, has a deep and a shallow end of that pool. the theocracy of the whole thing, uh, you know, is going to bleed into it. Um, and while they did, uh, I would say like they, they did a, a really good job of recognizing like, Hey, I have this bias. This is, uh, the thing that I've literally dedicated my life to. Um, and so, I'm going to cover it much more favorably and much more in depth than these other things that I don't ascribe to. Um, uh, a lot of my teachers were self-aware enough uh, to like recognize that that bias, and they made a conscious effort to uh, try to remain as objective as they can. Clearly, like their own personal outlook on life, morality, and the universe is going to bleed through. Um, but they did, uh, like they did as good a job as you would want someone to do. Uh, like as good as you, as good as you would expect, like a, a flawed human being to do it. Um, and, So uh, I'll I'll say like uh, they did a they did an okay job of exposing us all to uh, contrary points of view. Um, it was not just like, well, this is what the this is what the Pope said. So that's it. That's all there is. Uh, everything else is uh, mumbo gumbo garbage. Uh, so don't even bother learning about it. Now they, they did a pretty good job of like, okay, uh, here is what they were focused on. Here's their original premise. Uh, and here's how they expanded upon it. Um, like they, they would present it, uh, kind of like, okay, here, here's, here's what this is. So you can at least speak intelligently about it. Um, clearly there are flaws, um, as there are flaws in, uh, all philosophies and all morality systems, all, uh, all of this sort of thing. Um, but they, they, I, I kind of feel like my, my background while it will have a deep and shallow end of the pool, uh, for lack of a better analogy there, will serve as kind of my my uneducated basis here. Um, 
for a while I was into uh, Taoism, which is uh, kind of a, a way of looking at things where it's finding that it's finding the middle path. Um, and the way that I like to describe it is, um, there, there are two competing factions, um, on opposite ends of every spectrum. You can't let them become untethered and move as far to the extremes as they want to go, they need to be held back by the opposing side. And what's right is usually found somewhere in the middle. I find this particularly helpful in the realm of politics. Um, there is the conservative faction which wants to preserve things the way that they are. Uh, and there is a progressive faction which wants to uh, move things forward and address new issues as they arise. You can't keep the same political philosophy for like for hundreds of years without any sort of uh, amendments and changing and updating and incorporating new ideas, new technologies, new issues as they arise. Uh, you also can't just swing wildly to whatever the newest fad is. There has to be some level of consistency or else you don't actually have a culture. So you need these two opposing sides to have the healthiest society. And Taoism kind of takes that general idea and expands it to kind of everything, uh, which I found to be a refreshing uh, contrast to Catholicism, which is uh, based in like, this is the way things have been done for thousands of years. Don't change it. God was right the first time. Uh, and we need to just stick with that. Uh, and they're trying to hammer uh, new, new concepts into the old framework. That was always the downside that I found in in that religion, uh, and so this Eastern philosophy had a had a new way of looking at it, at least new to me. Clearly, it's very very old, um, but this this concept of like it's going to be somewhere in the middle. You can't go to any extreme. I found that very refreshing. Um, as I move into uh, kind of the real world uh, and get out and become a professional adult outside of school, um, 
I I had a certain way of looking at the world, which was not reflected in any of the culture, politics, philosophies, uh, or anything that I had been kind of like exposed to and the indoctrination never really took. Um, and as I read more and more, uh, I wandered into, uh, objectivism and I was like, this is actually pretty close to what I kind of like feel is the thing that works best for me because it works on such a cut down bare bones level. There's not hundreds uh, of years and libraries of treatises on every aspect of it. It's actually really new. Uh, I believe like it's from the fifties, like with a few tweaks here and there, uh, over the last 70, 75 years. Uh, but like the, it's so new that there just hasn't been enough time for philosophers to kind of get on board with it. So what is it? Um, objectivism uh, makes a few claims. Um, that there is an objective reality that can be determined and experienced through logic and reasoning. Which is in direct opposition to uh, subjectivism, uh, which is kind of the, uh, as far as I can tell, like the soup of the day, uh, and as far as, uh, general culture, um, subjectivism is saying that we all have our own truths. We all experience the world in our own way. And, uh, all of these have merit, and you need to uh, acknowledge and tolerate these other points of view. And I always thought that that was absolute crap. Uh, there is an objective reality. Like, the, the world does exist. There are hard and fast things that are objectively true. Our understanding may be incomplete, uh, and as new information arises, it may fill in depth to the picture, um, or uh, I, one of my favorite quotes is, there are no contradictions in nature. If you find a contradiction, check your assumptions. One of them is wrong. 
there are no contradictions. You cannot have this hypocrisy, this cognitive dissidence. It, it can't, it, well, it should not, it should not exist. Uh, if you are being objective and using logic and reasoning, if you use emotions, that will happen. And that's kind of the, uh, that's the, the litmus test on this one. There is a true singular objective reality and it can only be accessed through logic and reasoning. The introduction of uh, emotions and subjectivism uh, clouds that vision and keeps you from seeing the truth uh, and keeps you from seeing what is right. It's your basic bare bones. Like uh, if you can get on board with this original position, uh, everything else kind of flows out of this source. Um, what guides your morality? What should guide your morality is a rational self-interest. Do the thing that will that will lead to the best outcome for you. And if everyone did the thing that would lead to the best outcome for them, we would live in a truly moral and just society. In direct opposition to altruism, which is um, making decisions based on what is best for the group. Um, the classic, uh, like, the classic thought experiment is the trolley problem. There are uh, five people tied up on uh, a trolley track, and the trolley is headed toward them. And there's one person tied up on uh, a side track, uh, and you are standing near the switch. Do you pull the switch and switch the switch the trolley to move from five people to one people? That's the it's your classic morality move here, um, and most people would say like you like clearly you pull the switch, um, and I always took it. Uh, a little bit differently. Um, and I was like, this is more like, you're going to pull the switch um, because you are trying to be utilitarian and you're causing the least amount of suffering in the world. Instead of uh, the murder of five people, it's the murder of one people that's less suffering. That's a good thing. Um, but I always looked at it from the position of me. I am the one who's pulling the switch. If I do nothing, the train will hit those people. 
I did not put them on the track. I did not set the trolley in motion. Um, and it is only through my action that I will be causing harm. Through inaction, I am not causing any harm at all. It, like, my intervention will lessen the harm of society as a whole. But if I only care about myself, I should not be pulling the lever because then I am engaging in the situation that I find myself in. I want to focus more on me, the person next to the switch. Um, everyone else wants to focus on the people who are about to be harmed. Those aren't me in this hypothetical situation. Me, uh, personally, I'm the one at the switch. And so now I have to make a decision. Do Will it cause me more, uh, more harm or more joy to pull the switch? Is witnessing the murder of people knowing that I could have done something, which would be harm, uh, outweighed by the guilt of conscience that I would have knowing that I actively participated in the killing of, of another person? Is the joy that I get from knowing that I saved five people outweighed by the joy of knowing that I chose not to participate in an unjust system? From that point of view, I'm still pulling the lever because witnessing the the senseless murder of five people knowing that I can do something to alleviate that pain is a virtue in and of myself. The pain of those people is inconsequential to me. The virtue of knowing that I participated in a thing is like it's there's a there's a small but distinct uh distinction here um between caring about the people and caring about me focusing on my experience going through this moral dilemma if that makes any sort of sense um it's a distinction without a difference I think um, excuse me I had to take a drink break here my voice was starting to go um, so from a morality standpoint the way you should evaluate what your action or inaction should be would be what causes the best outcome for you. And if everyone did that, whatever, like if you looked at all of your actions and 
you thought not what's best for everyone else, which would be altruism. Altruism is uh, is the sin of this uh, of this philosophy, um, and you instead looked at uh, a and you instead looked at what what works out best for me. Let's expand this out further. Uh, let's apply it to uh, something else. Um, recently, there's been a lot of uh, debate and discussion on abortion. And that centers around the personhood or lack thereof of the fetus slash baby. Because we can all, because we all universally agree that murdering a person is wrong. And so, is, is it a person that you're murdering or is it not a person and so it is not murder? If it is a person, it is wrong because it's wrong to kill a person. If it's not a person, it's not murder, which makes it not not wrong. I like I I think I've got enough. I think I have enough negatives to counteract each other in there. Um, yeah, it makes it not wrong, not necessarily good. So now we're down to um, to the morality of what benefit or harm comes to me by this moral dilemma. The harm that comes to me is uh, or potential harm or benefit that comes to me is by having the most expansive definition of personhood because I have yet to find uh, I've yet to find an instance where uh, any sort of argument you can make against the personhood of the baby could not also be applied to a person who has been in a horrible car accident. Uh, it doesn't have a brain function. Someone who's been in a car accident, a fully grown 30-year-old person could have been in a car accident and they might not have brain function. They can't live without the assistance of someone else. Again, someone who's been in a horrible car accident and is in a coma will not survive without the assistance of other people. They don't have a heartbeat. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, who have pacemakers, and their hearts would not beat without the assistance of some outside force. All of these things, like 
you could apply any sort of line you draw to an uh, to a developing fetus. You could make that same uh, analogy to someone who has been in a horrible car accident. And I would and I would assert that it is wrong to murder someone who has been in a car accident. The most compelling arguments that I've heard on this subject are um, it's unfair for uh, a victim of rape to have to uh, to have to nurture the result of that and and through no fault of their own were they placed in this position. I was like, all right, fair enough. They should not have been put in this position to begin with. It is one of the, it is one of, if not the worst uh, crimes against humanity that I can imagine. And I can imagine a lot. It's right up there. Top three. Um, does that... negate the moral imperative to not murder another person. Let's take the stakes down a bit. Let's say that uh, I was mugged. Uh, I was walking down the street. Someone came up, uh, put a held, held me at gunpoint and said, give me your wallet. I hand over my wallet because I don't want to get shot. Do I then get to say, well, um, because, uh, because this horrible thing happened to me, I should not be forced to cancel my credit cards and replace the money that was in my wallet or go through all of the hassle of going down to the DMV and getting a new uh, driver's license. Like, you're inconveniencing me because something bad happened to me. Like, what, would it be fair to say, like, well, they got mugged, so now you can drive uh, for the rest of your life with no driver's license because it would be an inconvenience to have to go down to the DMV and replace the stolen driver's license. We're going to take a, like a, an analogous situation, but we're going to drop the stakes a little so we're not so emotionally involved in it. That would be a ridiculous demand to make of, of anyone. It sucks. It does. It puts everyone in a very bad position. And there is some suffering in the world. Like, there just is. That's part of 
It's part of being alive. Now, this may be from my uh, from my forays into Eastern philosophy, the basic tenet of uh, Buddhism being that uh, there is suffering in the world. Like, just that's kind of where Buddhism starts. Like, there just is suffering. Suffering happens. And if we start with that position of like, there just is suffering, that a bad thing could happen to you. And the fact that a bad thing happened to you does not negate your obligations. And being inconvenienced by something bad happening to you, like something bad happened to you does not absolve you from your responsibility no matter how inconvenient it is. I still need to go down to the DMV and get a replacement driver's license. I can't just drive with no license just because I was mugged. It is unfair and it sucks. I, I, I won't, I won't negate that. But the societal implications of letting people drive with no driver's license uh, outweighs the inconvenience for how infrequently this situation happens. Because if you have unlicensed drivers all over the place. Uh, then there will inevitably be more traffic accidents, more negative outcomes from that. The traffic accidents will lead to outright death of people unnecessarily and unfairly. Is a... Uh, is an immoral and illegal mugging which would lead to death, which would just spiral out of control. You can't allow more suffering and death just because some suffering and death has happened in the past. What works out best for me? What is in my own rational self-interest? My own rational self-interest says that even if something bad has happened, that's not an excuse to allow more bad things to spread. It's in my rational self-interest to, to do what I can, no matter how unpleasant or inconvenient it is, to stem the bleeding here. Like, you can't allow a wound to fester. It is in my, my own rational self-interest uh, on the, a matter of principle to acknowledge uh, 
to acknowledge the unfairness of the situation, but at that point, responsibility pops up and you need to like, stop, like you need to stop the, the unfairness and injustice and suffering there. And instead of just allowing it to continue, you can't just let it spread unchecked because it would be unfair. Uh, the objective reality portion of this is that I would, uh, like, I would say the objective reality portion is that, uh, it is another human being. It is a distinct individual it is a human being. It is alive. And I'm, and it's in my best interest to define that as having distinct DNA. That's about as like baseline as I can go. And fetal tissue has distinct DNA from the mother. That's it. Uh, that would be my like objective reality, and that's my basis for this whole thing. So we've covered uh, what is the basis of it. Uh, objectivism is there is an objective reality that we can arrive through through logic and reasoning. Through logic and reasoning, uh, I can identify what is true in the world. Uh, my morality system is based on what leads to the best outcome for me and what leads to the best outcome for me is, uh, even in the face of, of suffering and injustice, uh, it is my moral obligation. The thing that would lead to the best outcome for me is to not allow suffering and injustice to continue to spread and have a ripple effect downstream. It is best to stop any suffering and injustice as close to the source as, as you can. Um, as far as uh, as far as politics, uh, this falls uh, pretty squarely in the libertarian camp of don't make excessive laws like the like the absolute minimum amount that you can get away with a centralized authority. Allow people the freedom to do what they want to do. And this stems from the previous moral imperative. Um, and this, like, this is where I 
like this is where I came in at. Uh, like this was my gateway here um, because my general outlook was uh, people in positions of power are incompetent uh, and flawed and limited. They cannot come up with uh, every single situation. They can't evaluate. Uh, they can't evaluate like every nuance of every uh, of every possible permutation of everything and write laws effectively that take into account everything. They have to kind of take the middle bit of the bell curve. And there are going to be instances on the edges uh, where what is legal is not moral. Um, the the instance that uh, I'm thinking of is uh, there was a there was a man, uh, and he was selling Lucy's. Uh, Lucy's being um, individual cigarettes instead of the entire package, uh, and this was illegal. Local ordinance says uh, that you can't do that. The police, uh, in cracking down on this through altercations, uh, through like uh, some poor decision making on both sides, uh, killed it, killed him. Did this man deserve to die because he was selling single cigarettes instead of in a pack? Is is that a like is that a capital offense that? deserves the death penalty? Does someone deserve to die to stop the existence of single cigarettes from being sold in the world? I would say no. But the law was written. And it was through excessive overreach into the private decision-making of both him and his customers who maybe did not have the money for a full pack of cigarettes. Maybe they did not need all of the cigarettes and he was filling, uh, he was filling the need. These people were getting what they wanted. They, they wanted singular cigarettes. They wanted these Lucy's. He was selling them. He was, uh, making a profit ostensibly. So he was better off. His customers were better off and that, and so we have two people who are being raised up in this transaction and a third party who had nothing to do with it. The cops came in and murdered one of those two people for bettering their lives. It, it's a completely immoral act based entirely on over-intervention. 
So politically, uh, I I will advocate for less and less uh, intervention from uh, a centralized uh, overarching uh, authority figure um, and leave people to make decisions for themselves because I barely know what's best for me. I definitely don't know what's best for literally everyone else. And it would be arrogant and immoral to impose what I think on other people without having uh, the relevant information, the relevant data, the relevant uh, decision-making abilities for every single case. It may be best for most of the time, but there are going to be fringes. And on those fringes, people die. I'm sure that there are hundreds, thousands, if not millions of people who uh, who see the law against selling Lucy's and it benefits them in some way. Uh, but is that marginal benefit of cigarettes existing exclusively in full packs of 20 worth the death of another human being. Uh, I would, I would say that the, like the, the upside is far outweighed by the downside. And so I would say from a moral stance, uh, it would be more moral to allow the singular cigarettes. The the cost of death of people it far outweighs any sort of benefit you would have from mandating that they only are sold in packs of 20, not singularly, or partial packs. Because partial packs exist, they're not killing people. Like, uh, like singular cigarettes exist in the world. The fact that they are sold is somehow illegal makes no sense to me. And the fact that the that the cost of that is going to be human life makes no sense to me. So from a morality standpoint is like, this is an immoral act and politically I would not support the systems that enact that restriction uh, or put law enforcement in a position where they have to make the choice between life and death and enforcing this immoral rule. So there's your uh, morality, which leads to uh, political action. Uh, but I am done with my commute. And so I will talk to you next time and hopefully come up with a better sign off phrase by then.